when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. for the judges and this multi-millionaire mogul now has the best kind of goal. It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming your way today for another amazing athlete interview and we are returning to the sport of moguls. We love talking moguls and we are here to chat with two-time Aussie Olympic mogul skier Taylor O'Neill, Sochi and Beijing Olympian. And this is an amazing story of perseverance through a lot of injuries and a lot of moments which really you have to say are a bit of a what if on Taylor's career but it's so inspirational to learn just her recovery process how she was even able to get on the slopes in Beijing which is just an inspiring story her time in Sochi back in 2014 the state of the Aussie moguls team moving forward with Jakara's success of course in Beijing and what we can call the Aussie moguls team because there's not a name for them so I come up with a great idea and I'm selling you this right now it is the best team name Australia will have in any of our team sports so get pumped up for that and as always we've got a mogul skier from Australia on you know Dale Beck Smith is going to come up and Taylor was actually there watching Dale win in person in Turin in 2006 so she tells a little bit more about that story as well it's a great chat and you're going to hear it right now here's our chat with two-time Aussie Olympic mogul skier Taylor O'Neill Mogul skiing is definitely one of our favourite sports that we love talking about here on Off the Podium, and it's such a pleasure to be able to speak to another Olympic mogul skier, two-time Olympian from Sochi and in Beijing, from the great country of Australia. I think most people would have heard of it uh, here on Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to welcome Taylor O'Neill to the show. Taylor, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's, It's really great to be here. It's exciting, moguls. I love it. And uh, I'm always sad that my co-host is uh, never available when I do these because he's Mr. Moguls. He is weirdly obsessed with moguls. Not weirdly. It's it's not a weird thing. People can be obsessed with it. But uh, don't worry. He's, he's filled me in on some things that I can ask you today and got some questions <laughs> and everything. But I love your journey into the sport. I, I believe you started very young skiing and then ultimately chose moguls as your uh, path that you took on there. But uh, what was it about skiing when you were, I believe, two that sort of, uh, you know, got you piece of, a couple of pieces of wood on your feet and uh, kind of hit the snow? Yeah, I loved it. I mean, it's just a family sport. So um, my parents grew up skiing as well and my older siblings. Um, and, yeah, once I got into it, I, I loved it. I, I remember I I even broke my arm when I was two and I was still out there trying to ski with a broken arm because wow. I just wanted to be on snow. Um, and yeah, I mean, just from the get go, it was, it was something I really loved doing, loved being in the mountains, um, sliding around and 
and yeah, so we just kept going, got into competitions and, and I was not bad at them. So, um, kind of went yeah. from there. Yeah. Which when it came to the ultimate decision to choose mogul. So when you first start skiing and you're kind of just enjoying it at that point, when you are realizing things like competitions exist as a child, uh, were you trying your hand at things like Alpine or maybe even cross country as well as freestyle skiing as well? Yeah, for sure. So I started off in um, just a bit of everything at Interschool. So Interschools is a race um, down in Australia where all the different school groups kind of compete against each other. So I started that in 2001 with my school and I did a bit of everything. So we did Alpine, um, Moguls and cross-country skiing, which was really great. Um, I probably preferred Moguls the most. I just thought it was really exciting and fun with the jump and the turns and the speed element. Um, and then by the time I was about eight years old, I joined the Perisher Winner Sports Club where we did have a go at everything. So we did a bit of slope style, a bit of free ride, a bit of alpine, but um, the majority of my group were very into mogul skiing. So I was with uh, Matt Graham and Nicole Parks, um, who are also Australian Olympians. So they were in my group as well. And we all kind of veered towards the moguls. So we did that the most because all of us loved it so much. I love hearing about people loving moguls because I look at moguls and I see giant bumps and I go, that's going to hurt your bloody knees. And I think, where is the fun in that? But everybody we get on the show who does moguls says it's the most amazing thing ever and they love it. So can you try and sell it in terms of the fact that, I mean, obviously we know you've had some issues with your knees. We'll get to that. But like the, the knee factor, the bumps, like, I mean, it's, it's much more to it than it's just going to hurt. Right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think once you get the technique right, which is when you start at a young age, you're kind of a bit more fearless. You're ready to just give anything a crack and um, and you bounce a little bit easier if you crash. <laughs> um, so once you get that technique right, it actually feels really good. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't feel too bad. It's just when things go wrong, that's when it feels bad, um, which can happen and it happens quite often. But um, you're kind of chasing that feeling of of how good it could be the whole time. Um, and I just, you know, I wanted to keep up with the boys. The boys are into it. They're doing big tricks. And I was like, I reckon that, that looks pretty cool. I reckon I can I give can that a go. That. So, yeah. <laughs> Which is the unique aspect of moguls too, is the mix of speed technique and and sort of the the artistic side of things which you know you, you look at aerial skiing yeah there's a speed element at the top but it's more about the tricks and the big air mm -hmm. and things like that but i mean when you are learning as a child are you being taught more about the speed the technique like the the aerobatic section of it like is there one that as a child you've got to nail before you can focus on the next aspect um not so much i think as a kid you're just trying to give everything a go um, with the bumps, obviously there is a technique element to it. So once you get that technique and once you build up some strength, then you can go faster. So the speed comes with your technique. If you're skiing a bit more direct, if you have stronger muscles, you're able to pick up that speed and that just comes with experience. Um, and then with the tricks, honestly, it starts off with just having like giving it a go. So like a 360, um, I did my first one at eight years old. I just, I just oh. chucked it. Um, chucked it off the bump. <laughs> my brother dared me too. And I was like, yeah, I got this. Um, and, and then once you get older, you start hitting the water ramps and practicing those bigger tricks, like a backflip and a, and a D spin. So, um, again, that's just, just comes with experience and practice. Given you're from a skiing family, I, I'm not sure how the parents feel when you choose moguls out of all the disciplines. I mean, are they sort of like, I'm like, no, I do cross country. That's nice, safe and simple. You know, you're not going to hurt yourself too much. And moguls, like that's a bit dangerous. Like, did they have any concerns that that's where you uh, end up going towards? 
No, my family's a pretty, pretty big mogul family. Um, so my older brother and my older sister did it when I was young. So there's a pretty big gap. I'm one of five and they're, my older sister is 20 years older than me. So there's a pretty big gap there, but um, they loved it. They're into moguls and a bit of free ride, big air as well. Um, and my dad loved the sport as well. Um, loves going through the bumps, just the free bumps on the side of the hill and jumping off jumps. So I think he's also into ski ballet, which, you know, that doesn't really exist now, but he still <laughs> tries to pull out his tricks on snow, which is pretty funny. He thinks he's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I think we're, we're very much a mogul family. So they weren't too concerned. I'm glad you, I get excited whenever I hear the word ski ballet, because that yeah. seriously is a sport that needs to come back. I'm so sad that that was just a demonstration sport. I mean, <laughs> does anyone in Australia do it at all? Taylor? Is there like two no. or three people or anybody? Like they do it for fun. My dad still reckons they should bring back a master's program. He went into a master's uh, alpine competition the other day and he's like, oh, I want a master's ski ballet. I was like, oh, yeah, I might be the only one in it, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think people just do it for fun. They're just out there giving it a crack, but it's not a real serious sport. <laughs> we, we had um, Deidre Dion, Canadian aerial skier. She had done it. She had mentioned uh-huh. that that was part of her sort of growing up with it. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to watch. I mean, we're about to see breaking in the, the Summer Olympics. So, I mean, you know, ski ballet, you could sort of compare the two in a weird way. But every time every time a Winter Olympics comes around, somebody shares the footage of ski <laughs> ballet. And it's just like, this is insane. This is incredible. I'm with you, Dad. Bring it back. Yeah. It's a pretty, yeah, it's a wild sport, but it's pretty cool. Um, it's very old school, but, yeah, if you can do it, why not give it a, go- give it a crack? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, were you sporty in other sort of uh, pursuits as well, like sort of, in, you know, summer where you're playing lots of other sports and kind of, uh, you know, keeping active all the time as well? Yeah, for sure. So I was always very much skiing focused, um, but at school I did diving and I did gymnastics. So I did that more just for fun. It definitely helped with the acrobatic side of skiing, um, but it was always just kind of another sport. Skiing was my focus always. Now I've got two-part question for this one because I love this story that you experienced the 2006 Winter Olympics, which mm-hmm. so many questions about that. But before you went to those Olympics as a spectator, had you grown up watching the Olympics and combining that with the skiing? Was this the ultimate goal? You were sort of growing up with the aim to become an Olympian? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I started Winter Sports Club when I was eight. So I was in, it was 2003. Um, so just after the 02 Games. And yeah, we, we knew we knew some of the mogul skiers who were aiming for those games, like Manuela Birchhold and, and Dale Big Smith. They were around the mountain and we saw them skiing and leading into to Torino. I was like, this seems pretty cool. Um, I By year five, I kind of was, you know what, I think I want to do this. I want to go to the games. And then once we went there and I experienced it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty sick. Like I want to be up there and, and pushing out of that gate and doing it as well. So um, I think I was really lucky that my family – you know, got to experience that and I got to go over there and watch the games. Um, it was it was very cool, very, very cool. Well, you mentioned the name that I was going to bring up, the excitement <laughs> machine that is Mr. Dale Begg-Smith. We are yeah. very fond of him here on the, the show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be there, to, to see him create history, to win that, what was that like? And can you give us any Dale stories? Can you, you know, help us with the enigma that is Mr. Begsmith? Because we have heard so many on this show that nothing more sells him as an absolute legend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So it was very exciting watching him win that gold medal. Um, I think as Australians, we're like, that's pretty sick. Like we come from a summer country and and we've just gone out there and and gotten that gold. And I remember we, we didn't have uh, tickets to go to the medal ceremony. 
and my parents and my family, we just like, we're at the, at the medal ceremony outside the gates, just like trying to find tickets. And we managed to scramble together enough tickets to go in and watch him um, collect his gold medal, which was actually nice. really sick to watch. Um, and yeah, I mean, Dale's, Dale's epic. We got to, we got to ski with him a lot growing up. He was on the course with us, which was always really uh, inspiring to watch and see as a kid growing up. Um, I think that's the one good thing about mogul skiing is, you know, you can have the base level, the development athletes who are just starting out in the sport on the same course as those, you know, gold medalists in the sport, which is really, really good for the development of, of those athletes and bringing them up in the sport um, to see just how we train and, and how it's done um, so they can try and aim to be like that as well and aspire to be an Olympian one day as well. So I think that was really good. He definitely took um, my teammate Matt Graham under his wing and um, helped him through his his early career, which was really great to see. And now Matt's a silver medalist himself, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, he's always just on the course, having a great time, always joking around as well. You, you'd expect him to be quite serious, but uh, if you ca- caught him on the chairlift, he was always up for a joke and just mucking around, which was really great. I like to hear that. We need to uh, to hear that about him because he's such an enigma. But like the thing that like always amazes me, no matter who we get on to talk about him, Jokes aside, like he just seems like he has done so much for this sport. I mean, we've had Brit on a couple of times. She's talked about that. Recently spoke to to Brody about him and everything along the lines with that too. And the thing I think a lot of people forget is that he was Australia's only our third ever winter gold medalist. He's mm-hmm. our equal most successful winter gold medalist alongside of Tora. Yeah. And just what has happened in the sport of moguls for Australia since Dale won in 2006, you know, with everything that's come with it. You mentioned Matt, obviously Jakara recently, Brits, you know, success on the world stage, yours, everyone's like, it's, it's been insane. So, I mean, you talk about influential figures in one sport in Australia, you, you, it's hard to look by Dale Begg Smith. Yeah, hundred percent. He's done a lot for the sport in Australia. Um, it probably wouldn't be where it is today without him. So I think we're all very grateful. Um, and yeah, I mean, look at our team now is, is we had, the past two Olympics, we had all eight spots for Australian mobile skiing filled, which is incredible because before that we didn't have too many people in the sport at the games. Um, so it's been really, really great. Did you ever get invited to his private island? And can you confirm that he has a private island? <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't been invited, but I'm not I'm not too sure about that. <laughs> which I'm, I'm glad to see that he's – because obviously he texted Cooper after after Beijing. So, like, that made the news. It's like, he's alive. He's out there. There he is. So, like, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if there's any other Dale sightings. Is this kind of just like a, you go to a, an event one time? Oh, Dale's here. There you are. I haven't seen you in five years. How's it going? <laughs> I think that's across the board, though. Any athlete, um, after you finish up the sport, you still want to be in involved you still turn up to some events but I guess life goes on and you need to go do some other things so I guess that's what he's doing now we're going to get to the bottom of this island thing I know we are one day <laughs> somebody's just gonna like yeah absolutely we'll, we'll get mad on oh yeah he's got an island I was there last week you know it, it kind of it happens that way uh, obviously after sort of experiencing that though uh you make your debut on the world cup in in 2010 uh you start to make a name for yourself out there on the on the world stage a little bit sort of when once you got in the zone, you were competing internationally. Do you set your targets on 2014, uh, 2018? Like, do you kind of give yourself a target of these are the Olympics I'm going to go towards? Yeah, for sure. So 2014 was always my goal. Um, we were all very lucky to have our first World Cup in 2010, just ahead of the uh, Vancouver Games, where Brit managed to qualify, which was incredible because we were so young 15, at the time. 15, wasn't she? Yeah, 15? yeah. So, yeah, yeah 15. 
Um, so that was insane to watch. It was really incredible to watch Brit up there at such a young age and, and knowing that, you know, I compete against her and stuff was really, really cool to see. Um, and definitely seeing her in the gate in, in Vancouver pushed me more. Cause I was like, yeah, that's where I want to be as well. Like definitely motivated me. And, um, so yeah, 2014 was the goal and I was lucky enough that I did qualify and make that games and was able to represent Australia at that games, which was insane. Um, and yeah. I mean, 2018 was the goal too, and I wanted to go to three Olympics, but unfortunately uh, that didn't go to plan. But just to represent Australia too was pretty pretty insane. Fifth at the Junior World Champs mm-hmm. in 2012, uh, yep. you know, working your way up towards that. But, I mean, how important are Junior World Championships? It's not a question we really ask too much here on the show when it comes to that, but I can imagine that, you know, getting you out there, high-level competition, uh, you know, getting used to formats and things like that. But, I mean, how important are they and, and how is it to finish fifth at a Junior World Championship? Yeah, so Junior Worlds, we don't generally compete at as in Australia. Um, I think we don't have too many competition experiences compared to um, people in Europe and America. They just do competition after competition after competition. But as a kid, we only had Australian nationals and ABOM and, and inter-schools, and those were the only events we skied in. So I think having competition experience is definitely a skill in itself. Um, it's not just about training and who can be out there, but actually being able to you know put down run after run and continue to improve over those runs is something you need to learn. Um, and dealing with the nerves. So that year I was in year 12 and my teammate Brody um, was going to go and compete at junior worlds. And um, my parents were like, Hey, like maybe we should do that as well. Give it a whirl. And we went over there, competed coming fifth was pretty cool. Obviously you always want a little bit better, but um, it was really nice to be out there with some of the best athletes in the world at that uh, young age group and be able to compete alongside them for another competition. At the same same year, the first ever Winter Youth Olympics were around. Mm-hmm. Was that an option? Is that something that kind of uh, you can either qualify towards or be selected for or, or not quite at that stage? No. So Youth Olympics, there's no mogul skiing in Youth Olympics. So, ah. um, yeah, we weren't able to compete at that. But hopefully it's on the agenda soon. That would be really good. Um, but, yeah. That, damn. That was- How is that like, you know, you'd think that that would be a standard uh, sort of a event that you would, you would have there, right? So, um you know, yeah, it's you, weird. Yeah, it's, I'm not really sure why it's not on the program, but, I mean, hopefully we can, yeah, try and get it on there because I think that would be a really good experience for young kids as well. Because we go. always find, particularly, again, with the winter athletes in terms of multi-sport events, you know, summer athletes are generally a bit more sport for choice when they've got Commonwealth Games and things like that. But <laughs> generally for winter athletes, there's really none unless you're sort of Canadian, you've got a Canada Games or sort of, you know, there's some other games in some other countries. But, uh, yeah, so for like a Youth Olympics, we've found a lot of our guests who have gone to Youth Olympics, it's a great chance for the multi-sport aspect, but even just the Olympic rehearsal too because mm-hmm. obviously not quite as serious and strict as a, as a full Olympics, but it's still got enough there to kind of train you ahead of an Olympic Games. Yeah, I think it's a really good stepping stone, definitely. Um, you look at athletes like Emily Arthur uh, went on to compete at the Olympics as well. Um, Josie Baff as well yeah. has gone on to compete at the Olympics. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a great stepping stone for athletes. And um, if you can go to that and then go on to the Games, it's pretty sick. But, yeah, I mean, for mogul skiing, we do have a lot of competitions out there. We can travel overseas and do um, the NORAM tour. We can do the Europa Cup tour. We can compete at the US selections, the Canadian selections. We're able to compete in those events. So if you have the opportunity to do that, I think it's a really, really wise decision to go and just try and get into as many events as you can as a kid 
um, and learn the process and learn, learn to deal with those nerves and just how competition runs. And it's always a balancing act I can imagine too about working out what's best for your career in terms of experience, but also when you're getting closer to an Olympics, the the points, the all important points to qualify and the finishing places. So do you constantly just sit and look at a calendar and go, okay, Norams, Europa Cup, World Cups, and kind of talk that over with your coaches and everything about what would be best for you in that season? Um, Usually the coaches kind of have more of a direction, whereas we don't, I mean, we get a say if we want to go or not, but um, they generally know best. And once you're on the World Cup tour, you're just doing the World Cup tour. Um, but that stepping stone to get to the World Cup tour, you need to do the Norams, you need to do US selections, you need to get some results. And, and once you're getting those results, that's how you qualify in the Australian system. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you're good enough and and you're training well and um, you're showing that you can compete at that level, then you'll get entered into those competitions and you'll be able to start building up, you know, those results and the just getting into the different teams and working your way up in the kind of system. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you ever get then the Canadians or the Americans will come to the Australian trials? Like does Mikhail or the, the deferred point sisters all of a sudden go, yeah, let's go to the Australian trials. They're stealing our spots at our bloody trial. So let's <laughs> do it to them. Yeah. I mean, we had a lot of internationals at the Australian nationals this week. Um, we generally have, you know, the Canadian team out here. We've had the US team out here. We have the French team out here. Um, this year, not all of them came, but we've we've had Mikel at the top of our Australian Nationals podium multiple times um, and down at ABOM as well. Um, but I think, I mean, at the end of the day, you can still see who the top Australian is. It doesn't really matter if there's a Canadian ahead of you. It's still your <laughs> top Australian at the Australian Nationals. So um, they do do an overall Australian podium, which is really good. Um, but I think it's good having that extra competition because, I mean, you might be the best in Australia, but there's still the people overseas that you then need to go and try and uh, beat. So yeah. it's a nice kind of, you know, perspective and showing what, again, what you need to what you need to do to then be the best is having them on the course. And it's really nice to see like what they're doing, what they, how they're training. Um, and as a kid, it's really exciting to see that as well as you're progressing through the sport. How many Moguls Hills do we have in Australia? I mean, what, Perisher, Mount Buller? Like, I mean, is there only a couple basically? Yeah, not many. So we have Topper's Dream, which is the best course in Australia, definitely, um, and one of the best courses in the world. Um, we have Mount Buller at Chamois, so it's a it's a bit of an easier course, but it's a really good development course for the kids. Then we have Mogul Mats back at Perisher, which again is a um, for us it's more of like a training early season training course, but for the younger kids, it's a good place to develop their skills. Which with the Jeff Henke Centre, obviously, can you ever, I guess, translate bumps onto dry land? Is that ever a thing that you can kind of do like uh, at a facility or is that too difficult to create? Yeah, I think it's a little bit difficult to create. I probably wouldn't want to ski moguls on plastic. It would be a little bit bit terrifying. You'd definitely (laughs) want to fall over and you probably wouldn't uh, push yourself to the limit where you then develop better skills. Um, You kind of need to... Get, a, get rid of that fear and, and go faster. Whereas I think on plastic, I would definitely be skiing very slow and conservative just so I wouldn't I fall can over. Yes. Um, but we do brassards, the trampoline drill, which um, is probably the most relevant training that we do for mogul skiing. Um, and then we have the water amps, which definitely helps your aerial ability. Which I always love hearing about just the, the wetness. Because like I, I'm somebody who doesn't like 
chafing and being uncomfortable, Taylor. So I can imagine when you're <laughs> constantly landing in water and you're wet all the freaking time, uh, even if you dry off quickly in that Brisbane heat. But, I mean, you've got to get used to things like that pretty quickly, I can imagine, knowing you're hitting the water however many times in a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we grow up doing water amp. We had a facility out at Lilydale in Victoria and we're very lucky to have that facility up in Brisbane now. It's um, it's incredible. It's so nice to jump there and to practice our tricks and get better. Um but yeah, you definitely get used to it. You just, you know, it's part of the sports. So you just have to do it. And um, I mean, we do about 30 jumps a day and trudging wow. back up the stairs in all your gear. But if it means you can get that little bit better, it's it's worth it. 30. Wow. That's that's insane. Absolutely <laughs> insane. Uh, Sochi, I believe you get that nod that you're there barely a couple of weeks beforehand, which is obviously a common thing with a lot of uh, winter athletes, but for your first games, and I can imagine sort of that whole lead up there. I mean, what was that season like beforehand? And did you kind of have a feeling that you were on path or was it until you got that phone call, email, carrier pigeon, whatever it was that you're like, boom, this is it. Finally, I've made it to an Olympics. Yeah. I mean, it was an up and down season. I didn't quite ski how I wanted to leading into the games, but I did enough to qualify, which was good (laughs) um and yeah I mean you know that you're in like you you can follow the results you can follow where you're at in the standings but until you get that letter it's not real so you're like I just need to get that letter get that you know stamp of approval I'm going and and once you get that you're like holy crap okay I did it I'm in um and then especially once you you land in the country where the Olympics is being held you're like cool I'm here this is it um (laughs) but it was very exciting I I remember we knew the letters were coming that day and I was just talking to my older sister and we were just like trying to I was just trying to distract myself and like we're sending just different songs to each other and um and then the letter came through on email and I was in the house with Britt Nicole um and and myself and I think we're all pretty excited especially because we grew up skiing together so to be able to go to to games together um it was pretty cool and I can imagine that's something you print out and frame and kind of have that uh, as a nice little souvenir after all these years yeah yeah definitely um yeah along with many of a lot of the memorabilia you get from the games it's definitely one of the uh the most exciting parts is getting that official letter and given that so close though to an olympics like i'm sure you have that moment of celebration you, you know however long it takes but you've got to switch focus straight away. Like it's not like you can take a week off to go on the town and get pissed and party, is it? Like you just basically <laughs> go, all right, cool, Olympics, all right, better get ready because you don't want to go to an Olympics and just be like, oh, I'm here, whatever. What You know, you want to compete and you want to do your best. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's a reason you're going. Um, no one wants to go to the Games and, you know, just be there to participate, I don't think. It's definitely not something that I wanted to do ever. So, um yeah we're usually at an olympic training camp so just before the games we go and we go to a specific mountain and just have a just you know fine tune everything get everything ready to go all of your skills and all of the aspects of the course and um get your your run up to scratch and ready to roll after the competition the sorry the world cup tour um so it's at that point that you get the letter so you're kind of at the olympic training camp you're like I'm here, but yeah, you just have to go back out and keep keep trying to get that little bit better. So on the day you can perform your best. And how is it then? I mean, you obviously you've grown up with, as you said, Nicole and Britt, but to have Britt who's got that experience then, I mean, how, how important is it to have a teammate who's been there and can maybe sit you both down and be like, okay, this is what the village is like. This is what the media attention is going to bring, you know, all those little things that an Olympics bring that you perhaps don't experience on the World Cup tour. Yeah, it was really good. It was really nice to have Britt there. Um, I think she helped 
kind of level level us out and not <laughs> we weren't too overexcited or going too crazy. She was just like, you know, this is what it is. This is the media was probably the biggest aspect that was different to a normal World Cup, having the cameras everywhere, having people wanting to interview you. Um, you don't usually get that at a World Cup. Um, so that was really nice to have her there. And I think uh, for her, it was nice to have some teammates as well because she was the only girl in Vancouver. So I think she was pretty happy to have us there as well. So we kind of complimented each other, which was nice. <laughs> I've got to ask the, uh, the question with Dale then, of course. I mean, obviously he's there as well. Uh, I mean, does he bring something given that, you know, he's been to two and he's won two medals? Like, I mean, does he also help out with that situation? Yeah, for sure. I mean, having someone there who's had the experience, but not only the experience has been at the top of the board, which is <laughs> pretty insane. It's, it was really nice to have him there and then also my other teammates, so Matt Graham, Brody Summers, Sam Hall. It was it was a really nice um, team to be a part of and I was really grateful that I was able to be a part of that. Do you have a moment, we love this question on the show, but that you realise you're an Olympian. Is it the, is it the letter? Is it, uh, you know, arriving in Sochi? Is it on the top of the hill, the closing ceremony? Like does some moment hit you where it's like, I'm an Olympian right now? I mean, you're not technically, like, according to the book, you're not technically an Olympian unless you push out the gate. Um, obviously, people can, you have your own version of that. I think once you're going, that's pretty sick. I mean, you can still be, say you've been to an Olympics. Um, but probably pushing out that gate, once I got to the bottom, I was like, I did it. Sweet. Like, I'm here. But wanted to improve my run because it wasn't the best run and I was like oh, you can do better than that but it was a nice feeling I had all my family at the bottom of the course I went over to them and they they were all very excited to watch me ski um and of course we have the qualification day one we just do one run and then the next day we have the qualification two and finals so um you had that moment to kind of you know savor the moment and, and really experience it and get excited. And then you just have to go home, refocus and get ready for the next day. Um, but you know, the nerves, nerves are out of the way by then. And you're like, okay, yeah. tick that box, not really a box, pretty exciting box, but ticked. I'm an Olympian. <laughs> that's sick. And now I, you know, qualification two, let's, let's get this done and let's do a, let's do a good performance. Cause that's the insane thing about your event is the fact that, yeah, as you said, qualification for the opening ceremony, and then your finals the day after the opening ceremony. So it's kind of like you're there, you're done, boom, that's it. I can basically sit around for the next 15 days and enjoy the atmosphere. But it, it, is that something that you prefer when it comes to a competition like that? Would you, How would you feel if it was the opposite? Like you were on the last day and you had to sit around for 14 days waiting. Were you glad it was sort of over and done with so you could experience everything else outside of the competition? Yeah, I mean, it's great that we're finished early. Um, the one downside is that we can't go to an, an opening ceremony. That's one thing that we do miss out on as um, mogul athletes. But, I mean, if we're at the end of the games, we probably would miss out on the opening ceremony anyway because we'd just be at a training camp and come in halfway through the games and then do our event. So um, I think wherever you are in the – I mean, we're pretty used to competing. We do a lot of it. We're pretty used to um, the lead-up to competition. So – even though it's the Olympics, I feel like just wherever you are in that two-week period, you just need to stay focused on your event and once it's done, you can then go and watch other events, which is a great part of the game. You can go watch everyone else compete, but, um, yeah, then you can just relax and enjoy the rest of the games. And a very unique games in Russia, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how was your experience uh, there in Russia and, and your family? Because as we learn, it's generally the families are having the more interesting experiences because you're obviously in a bit of a bubble uh, as an athlete. So, I mean, uh, any fun stories that came from Russia? Yeah, I mean, I stayed in the village the whole time. Um, 
it was it was a great game. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a place I I'd been to one. I went to the test event the year before, but Russia was not somewhere that was a regular location on the World Cup tour or anything back then. So we I hadn't really experienced it. But my family definitely enjoyed the full Russia experience. They they went to St. Petersburg and Moscow and went everywhere. And um, well, I just stayed at the Olympic Village, but um, I wouldn't change it. I think it was it was a pretty cool games to go to. Did you then set yourself a target of, I need to go see some hockey, I need to go see the aerials, I need to go see, you know, luge? Like, I mean, do you kind of just uh, make the most of those uh, remaining days to see whatever you can? Yeah, 100%. So um, me and my teammate Sam Hall, so his wife is a figure skater and so me and him, my sister was a figure skater, so I, I quite like watching it as well and um, we went down and watched the figure skating together and we, we couldn't get, we got tickets to the, um, like the qualification and then for the, for the short program. And then for the long program, we didn't get tickets for that, but we somehow managed to convince the people at the door that we were a figure skating pair. <laughs> 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 we, we got in, which was great. So we got to watch the long program as well. We actually sat with wow. all the athletes, which was kind of funny, but, um, yeah, that was pretty sick. The boys got to watch the hockey. I didn't get tickets to that, but they were able to go and watch that. I think it was uh, Canada versus America, which was, would have been epic to watch. Um, we still went out, watched Scotty James. We watched um, Lydia, Dave Morris, um, Tora. We watched everybody out at their respective events, and it was really great to be part of the crowd and cheering on the Australians. I just really hope that they don't then ask you to actually go compete on the ice. <laughs> like, like, hey, guy, you repair, like, you're up, Australia, come on, off your pot, like, there you go. <laughs> Not sure how that would go, I, yeah, but it's uh, it was pretty funny. We got in there, so that was great. <laughs> the the event itself, obviously, for you, you, you mentioned you weren't the first run, not the best, but then the second run, you do enough to to get through to the final and then ultimately, you know, don't make it past that point. But 16th in your first Olympics, I know your sort of goal you set yourself was to be top 20. Of course, you want to go on to win the gold. You're, you're an athlete. It's only natural. But, I mean, reflecting on that, I mean, how do you look back now sort of these years later about your performance? Satisfied or do you think there was a little bit more that could have been done to go a little bit further? 100%. There was definitely more that could have been done. I think my finals run was my worst run, <laughs> of course. Um, I had a bit of a mistake out of the top air, which straight away I got to the bottom. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, I pretty much almost fell out of top air, which was super annoying. But um, and I knew like my training run before finals, I got out of the top air really, it was actually probably my best run on the course. I was like, oh, why couldn't I have just repeated that? Like, it's so annoying. Um, but I mean, I was pretty excited. Like, I think you need to put it in perspective sometimes and look at your performance leading into the games. And you can't expect, say, I was coming, like my best result leading into the games, I think was like an 18th. So you can't expect to get to the games and win gold. I mean, obviously that's that's the goal and that's what you want um, and that's what you're always working towards. But if you look at the bigger picture, I'm not going to all of a sudden get to the games and be on the podium if my best result leading in was an 18th. So um, that's why I set myself that top 20 goal. It was my first games. Um, I wanted to compete well, but, you know, it was also a stepping stone to my next Olympics. Um, so I was pretty stoked on the 16th. Obviously, I wish I competed better in that final run and I would have been up a little bit more, but it is what it is. And I still, uh, top 16 at my first games, was I was pretty happy with that. I think that sounds pretty good. You get introduced as always a top 20 athlete in the Olympic Games. So that, yeah. you know, that's, <laughs> that's a nice little ring to it. Six months later, though, obviously, uh you do your ACL, the first one. Um, what happened and sort of how 
difficult is it for people who may not be familiar with what happens when you do an ACL to try and recover and then push towards another Olympics? Yeah, so um, in Perisher, we were training on top of Stream just after our domestic season after the Games, and I was working on speed and airs. I was skiing pretty well, but uh, what let me down at the Games is particularly was my speed and my air package. So we're working on that, trying to go bigger. Um, and I was coming into bottom air and basically I just didn't hold my takeoff, which essentially was the problem. Um, did a backflip and landed a bit back seat, tried to pull out of the course and hit a mogul and my ACL tour, which was brutal. It's It was pretty devastating. Um, I couldn't believe that I'd actually done it because up until that point, I'd only had back injuries and I was like, oh, that's just my thing. I'll just have back injuries. Like that's going to be my <laughs> my lot in life in this sport. But yeah, tore that first ACL and it was, a I couldn't believe it. I was devastated, but you know, you just have to refocus and concentrate on that rehab, get the surgery and just put everything you can into your rehab um, so you can come back stronger and come back on course and be able to do what you can do without being scared of, of your knee and worried about hurting it again. So got in the gym or got into surgery, fixed it all up. I tore my ACL and my meniscus um, and got into rehab and I was back on snow about 10 months later, back in our domestic season. Um, but even, yeah, once you're back on snow, even that's a tough ride because it takes a while to get back to your performance and back to how you can ski just because you've been off snow and because you've had a pretty traumatic injury. And I can imagine it's that mental aspect too of that first time on snow. Is there a little bit of a shit last time I did this, this kind of hurt, um, you know, is this going to be holding up all right? Did the surgeons uh, put it all back together correctly? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we have a pretty lengthy return to sport program um, and protocol. So that definitely helps with trusting your knee again. Um, in hindsight, I probably wish I used a sports psych more um, during that time just to try and get my head right because I was young and I was like, I'm good. I've got this. I was confident. I was like, I'm fine. Like this isn't affecting me, but it was. <laughs> um, it definitely was, but I just wasn't willing to acknowledge that. Um, so, yeah, once I got back on course, I was skiing okay, but I was not skiing how I should have been, which then affected my results. Um, I, yeah, overturning on one side, favoring my left leg, um, just little things that I was kind of cheating a little bit. So I, I could do stuff, but I, I developed habits where I wasn't necessarily uh, activating the muscles that I should have been because I, I learned how to, I, I taught myself how to do the, the skill again, but I was doing it in a little, I was cheating a little bit. Just so, wow. just to do the skill rather than do it properly. Which um, later down the track, with my other with my other injuries, we definitely really honed in on that and focused on it to make sure I wasn't doing that again. And was that sort of an issue then in the lead up to twenty eighteen that ultimately, uh, unfortunately, you, you narrowly miss out on going to a second Olympics? And was a lot of that kind of based on what you're just talking about there? Yeah, it was a mixture. So um, I definitely took a while to get back to my performance. Um, I, again, as I said, with the sports psych, I thought I was fine, but I definitely wasn't. Um, and leading into the first qualifying year, I had two events where coming into a bottom air, I'm not sure if, I don't know, maybe it was to do with the fact that I, I did my knee on a bottom air and I was scared, but whenever I was coming into a bottom air with speed, I would 
catch an edge, which <laughs> I'd never done in my career before that. But two events leading in, I coming into speed into bottom air and I just caught an inside edge and kind of just did a crappy jump or one of them, I just kind of rolled over the jump and at the qualifying event at US selections, I caught an edge and did like a tilted backflip, which then affected my ability to qualify for World Cup for that first season, which then kind of set me back to try and qualify for the games because I only had one season to try and do it and seven events in, in comparison to other people's 14 events. Um, so, I mean, at the end of the day, I should have just skied better in those seven events. That would have qualified me, but um, I didn't. So just is what it is. <laughs> you, you mentioned before about the goal of going to three Olympics. Obviously, you know, missing out on that one holds that back a little bit but as we always like to find out in terms of a disappointment that comes in life you can then use it as motivation for the next one was that straight away your thought I've missed out on 2018 2022 as a goal or do you sort of take a little bit to reflect on things and think well do I have what it you know mentally takes to move to another Olympics because obviously it's it's a long time four years to kind of commit to that yeah for sure I think straight away I mean I was devastated I couldn't believe it that last event when it happened I was like Okay. Like, cause obviously throughout the events, you might, you might have a crappy event. You're like, okay, I've got the next one. Like I can do this. Like I've got this. Um, I just need a top 12. Like that's all I need to do. I just need a top 12. I just need to make finals. And then I'm that one step closer. But in that lead up to that games, I came 17th three times and the top 16 goes to the finals. So it was pretty brutal. Cause I, I missed out. I, I tied with 16th at one of the events. Mm. Like I couldn't have been closer to that, to that finals, but I just, uh, the luck just wasn't really on my side. And, um, obviously I should have just performed better, but I didn't. And, um, it was, it was devastating. So that, that hit me. Luckily my parents were at that final event. So I just got out of there. I, um, wrote a, a message to my coaches, just thanking them and, and, um, saying good luck for the games for the athletes that qualified and went home and literally just sat in my room crying for about two weeks. <laughs> mm. So I just couldn't believe it happened. And, um, and after that, I, I wrote myself a little note. I was like, you know, ne I never want to feel like this again. And I stuck it up on my wall. Um, just as a reminder of how shit it felt basically. And, um, to motivate me to, you know, keep training and try harder and not let other things affect me and start working with a sports psych and, you know, just be better. Um, and yeah, I set my sights on the world champs. That was the first stepping stone. I was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the world champs next year. Again, it's only four girls can qualify for that. So that was my first goal. I was like, okay, you know, pick yourself up, get back in the gym. Let's do this. Let's, let's, you know, do everything you can to, to qualify for that. And then from there was the, the Olympics. Did you, did you watch the Olympics? Like, I mean, can you pull yourself to still watch them? Because I can imagine as, as heartbroken as you are, like it must be tr pretty tricky to see your teammates and people you've beaten and all that before competing where, where you want to be. Yeah, it was definitely tricky. At the start, when it first happened, I was like, I'm not watching. I'm going home. I'm going to sit in my room. I'm closing myself off to the world. Like, <laughs> screw this. Um, but as it neared the games, I mean, it's a sport I love. So I was like, all right, get over yourself. Um, you know, the world is bigger than mogul skiing. You need to broaden your perspective and realize that it's a small aspect. Um, it meant a lot to me myself, but I mean, in terms of everything else going on in the world, it's a pretty, I mean, it's sport. <laughs> um, and you do it for fun. You do it because you love it. So um, I, yeah, I wanted to support my teammates. So I 
turn on the TV and watch them and cheered them on. And um, yeah, it was exciting to watch, even even though I wasn't there. What happens then again between Pyeongchang and Beijing? Again, just heartbreaking again to to do it again. The ACL happens again, and then yeah. and, <laughs> and again, again. <laughs> uh, which I mean. Do you just hate your knee? Do you just hate your like? What the fuck, man? Like, come on, like, just can you not do this? Like, after I've competed at the Olympics, like, I mean, why do you keep doing this to me? Because it, it, like, I can't imagine just the absolute heartbreak that brings. As you said, like, not just once more, but twice more again. It happens just before Beijing. So, yeah. I mean, through all of that though, you still end up going to Beijing and going up on that start line, which I'll talk about in a second. But I mean. How how do you recover from that? Sports psychs can do so much, but I mean, there's got to be some times there where it's just like, like, why am I doing this? Yeah, definitely. Um, doing that second ACL. So I had a pretty good, I mean, the 2018 season was pretty good. I concussed myself pretty bad in Rooka, but I came back and, and did the world champs, which was incredible. I got 13th um, in the singles event, which was my best result to date. So that was pretty epic. Uh, but yeah, in the, in the Australian season, again, I, again, in the bottom section of Topper's dream, I <laughs> <laughs> retore my right ACL, which at, at first they thought was just my MCL. Um, Cause I always had trouble with my first ACL afterwards. I always had pain. So they just, we just thought it was my MCL. So I did all of the return to snow, all of the recovery. I passed everything with flying colors, went over to Zermatt, tried to ski moguls and I don't know what it was. It like kept flicking or clicking and I was like, it, it hurt a lot. So we went back home, got an MRI and it, we found out that my ACL was actually had been tearing over the whole five years. Mm. <laughs> so it was just every little thing was kind of tearing it that little bit more. And then that last crash was enough to partially tear it, um, which was enough to not be able to mogul ski. So went back into surgery, got that fixed up. Another summer at home, which was pretty brutal. But again, I was like, I've done it once before. I can do this. I can come back. And this time, hopefully the ACL sticks. <laughs> it won't be re-tearing. And it was a, a much smoother recovery, which was really good um, from that knee. And I was with my sports psych at that stage who really helped me get through it. Um, and we're just taking it week by week. And I had my sight set on the games. Um, and... We came back from that ACL and I was having a bit of pain at the end of the 2019, 2020. I don't even remember one of the seasons. I was having a bit of pain in the top of my kneecap as I came back and we found out that I had actually worn through all the cartilage in that knee and oh, I was bone on wow. bone. <laughs> so I had this like extensive bone bruising. Uh, my knee was in a pretty bad shape and and they told me, I they, the doctors told me I'd never mogul ski again after that one. So they're like, you know, it's pretty unlikely you'll get back in the bumps. You might do all this work, but we can't guarantee you'll be able to mogul ski because in that deep range is where it hurt the most. Um, but we just put a program together. We had just small, after I had 12 weeks off, we just in, like incrementally brought in different exercises to, to ensure I wasn't bruising the bone again, just to make sure I was, um, to try and build like a callus basically on the bone so it could handle a little bit more and a little bit more. And we did that all of um 2020 and 2021 and eventually got back on snow last uh, last year in the domestic season and again I was doing like compared to my teammates 10 runs a day I was doing four or five so I had to do a lot less than everybody else um I wasn't allowed to hike jumps I wasn't allowed to do a whole lot but enough to ensure that I could ski a competition and ski well. So, and I'd, I'd had the experience. I had a lot of training under my belt. I knew I could do it. I just had to, my body just had to be in the right, um, in the right kind of 
frame <laughs> to be able to actually produce my run, which um, I was lucky enough to do in Ruka and Sweden and Alpe d'Huez, but then come, come Tromblant, I blew my left ACL. So <laughs> I <laughs> can't even admit, like the effort you're booing to kind of go towards that goal. And then it happens. I mean, how far out was that from Beijing that it happened again? Ah, uh, that was three weeks. Three yeah. weeks. Yeah. Damn. So this one, it was pretty brutal. Um, all my other ACLs, I at least crashed. Whereas this one, I literally just hit a turn. I just, nothing happened. I hit a turn and it, I knew straight away it tore. And I was like, I couldn't, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Like, I just worked my butt off for the past two years. And, uh, with the, the site set on Beijing and, and it was, you know, within arm's reach and, um, I just hit a turn and it went and I was like, okay, my knees really, they want me to finish up. Like, yeah. <laughs> Stop sport, doing so. this Taylor. Stop doing yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you still doing this to yourself? Um, but yeah, I wasn't going to let it, you know, tear me down. I'd done it before. I'd skied with a partially torn ACL before I knew if I just put the work in this time, I had only done the ACL. So it was pretty like, in terms of an injury, it was a pretty chill version of an ACL. <laughs> like, it wasn't too bad. <laughs> that was a casual one. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I yeah. didn't crash. There was nothing major. It was just the ACL tour. So um, we put a program together again, speaking to my sports psych. We had three weeks. I had three weeks to prove that I could do it um, and three weeks to pass all of the medical clearance to be able to compete at a games. So I started a a journal the day that I did it just to document my time leading into the games um, and to keep myself accountable and to document what exercises I did just in case similar to my bone bruising missing cartilage injury just to see like what stage I was at if I if I heard it a little bit like how far back I had to go to to restart Um, but I was really lucky I mean it was it went really well um I was back, you know, running, jumping, hopping. I could do everything. I, I could do single leg squats. I could squat. I could do everything. Um, I was back on snow. We had no issues on snow um, at the pre-Olympic camp. Um, like everything was going really well. Past medical, um, which I was really happy about because, you know, you can't, you can't go unless you pass medical. And, um, yeah, everything was going really, really well back on the course, back skiing until I um, – hit a mobile in Beijing and, and tore both meniscus and my MCL. So wow. <laughs> that was kind of, yeah, after that, I bet I wanted to keep skiing, but that was by that stage, it was too far gone. Cause you knew Beijing was your last game, right? You would at all, but confirm that would be it. I was, I was going to say like, did they just put some, I don't know, gaffer tape on you to go like, yeah, just go out there and do it. But, um, cause I remember watching it and obviously seeing you at the start gate, you know, you, you kind of just moved to the side a little bit, which, I mean, brave in itself to do that. Um, I mean, how important was that for you to be able to just get up there at least? As you said before, you get to the start gate, you're an Olympian. This is your second Olympics. But how important was it for you to get to that start gate to just say that I at least started this event? Yeah, I mean, it was important to me to do it. I think at the time, even still, like I was thinking I was one out. One of my friends from America, Olivia, she was one before me. And um, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, <laughs> I was like, just get me home. Like, I don't want to push out the gate. I'm, I'm scared. Like, um, not scared to ski down, but more scared probably of people's reactions. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was just like, oh, like this sucks. Like, this is not what I wanted to do. This is not the performance that I know I can do. 
Um, obviously, skiing down the side of a course is not doesn't really show off all the bloody hours and hard training and everything that I'd been through. So it wasn't really ideal, but um, we sat down. I was you know, grateful to the Australian Olympic Committee and um, Snow Australia and OWI and everybody who had supported me. And they were like, you know what, like you've had a pretty tough run. Like let's just make it worth it. Like get back in the gate. Like I was so close to competing, but it was just um, my knee tweaked at the wrong spot. Like, yeah, basically. So I, yeah, just landed heavy on a left turn and that was enough to do it because moguls is a, it's a sport where it's pretty, it's pretty wild. You never know what's going to happen. You can try and dream for the perfect run. You can, you can train all you want, but you never know what's going to happen in that run. You could just, you know, land in the wrong spot or hit a turn wrong or it's, that's what makes it exciting. I think that's what makes the sport so amazing to watch. Um, so yeah, just skiing down that run, I came off a right turn, hit the left turn a little bit too hard and and my knee kept twisting, which <laughs> is really gross, but, um, but yeah, it just happened at the wrong time, but it is what it is. And, um, I was, I was happy just to be there and to at least watch my teammates go and try their best. Well, I mean, I was going to say there was probably a bit of a happy ending then at least you could go and cheer on Jakara to win the gold. So, I mean, you know, that might have brought a bit of a smile to your face. But yeah. it's like did, did through all of that, I know it's so tough and everything, but like did any part of you go, well, one more maybe? Like I didn't quite fulfill kind of like, you know, where I wanted to be. Like I, I don't want to do my fourth and my fifth ACL before uh, Milan. But, I mean, was there any part of you was like, well, come on, this has got to happen. I've got to have at least one Olympics here where this isn't going to happen. Yeah, I mean, part of me is, I think as time goes by, I'll be able to reflect back on my career and be happier with it. Um, at the moment, I think it's a little bit too soon to be like, yeah, that was a good career. <laughs> like, um, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, in time I'll look back and be really happy I pushed out that gate. But right now it's a little bit close and a bit too soon. Um, and honestly, if I kept going, my body probably would have just kept giving up on me. <laughs> I think it was pretty done with the sport. I got to need a knee replacement soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was pretty brutal, but yeah, reflecting back on it. I mean, I reached out to, um, Phil Marquis who in 2018 did his knee in a pretty similar time frame to me. Um, and I reached out to him just to see his perspective on how he did it in 2018 and how he got to the games and competed. And, um, and that really helped me. And yeah, I think I just was, you know, that three weeks, I just had to put all my effort in. And then after that, I was, I was done. I knew I was done. I think it's inspiring enough though, Taylor, for you to be able to do that and turn around and, and no matter what happens from now on, you're always going to be a two-time Olympian. And as I said, you finished a top 20 at Olympics. So, you know, that's going to be something that you can always have. In terms of now that you've sort of uh, hung up the skis, recovery, like d d can you, is it a different type of surgery or like a different type of recovery process when you're not rushing back to get on the slopes? Like, is it just sort of more of a take your time a little bit now rather than going, hey, shit, I've, hurry up, I've got to get on my skis now? Yeah. Um, so we got straight into surgery as soon as I got home from the games a week later, I was in surgery, getting it fixed. Um, in terms of recovery, it's, I mean, it's pretty similar. It's just not as, I wouldn't say rushed. I'm just not, you know, I'm not trying to be a mobile skier. I'm not trying to get back to the top of elite sport. So I can take my time a little bit more. Usually would be trying to get back on snow probably by the end of domestic season or by overseas, whereas I'm not going to be back on snow until next, next year. 
July. So we have some time up our sleeves, which is um, different to my other ACLs and everything else is pretty much the same. I want to be able to do everything. So I'm really lucky. I have the support of the New South Wales Institute of Sport, um, Snow Australia, OWI. So they're helping me through this recovery and to get me back to full strength and full health. Um, so yeah, I'm just in the gym doing my, doing my rehab, doing my recovery. And by the end of it, I, I want to be able to ski. I want to be able to ski mogul still if I want to and jump off jumps and do whatever I want. So I'm want to get that knee back to the best it can be. Is it a case of when you end up going to the hospital, like back again, you know, and then is it like, you know, get three ACLs, get a fourth free or something like that? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the surgeon knows me pretty well now. And actually two of my sisters did their knees this domestic season. So wow. in my family, there's been out of the five kids, there's now been nine ACLs. Nine ACLs. Holy yeah. crap. This is That's like an O'Neill cool. tradition. This is seriously, <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I almost like as somebody who likes, you know, nice, even numbers, I'm like, go for 10, but this isn't something you want to go for 10. Like, no, don't. Please yeah, don't. Yeah. I think, I mean, to get through uh, 20 years of mogul skiing, I did all right to just do three, considering my yeah. other siblings have all done them too, just skiing. But, uh, yeah. That's crazy. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Which, I mean, just, just moving forward in the sport, obviously, Jakara, you know, winning the gold. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, do you think it's going to have a similar flow-on effect for, for female moguls, sort of what Dales did back in 2006? Like, are you seeing this, uh, you know, you've just as I said been to the national championships. Have you got more young girls strapping on the skis wanting to give this a try? 100%. I think, um, like, I mean, Jakara and Britt, I think they've been great role, like, great role models for the sport. Um, I think our team as a whole, uh, what we have set up, what our coaches have created has been a really strong team of people who work hard, who people who have been injured and come back. We kind of have all of the, all of the storylines that you could have in elite sport. You know, you have your gold medalist, you have Brit, who's been world champ and the best in the world. You have, um, me who's been constantly injured. <laughs> um, you have, you know, all these different types of people who have had all these different types of careers. And I think that's a really, you know, for someone younger, I think that's a really good thing to be able to see. Um, and all of us have still gone and competed and all of us have still achieved, maybe not what we wanted to achieve. Um, but we still have had some pretty incredible careers. So I think for those younger girls, they have a pretty good you know, a good system that they're growing up into. They have people to look up to. They have people who are going to support them. And I think that's really important in the, in the sport. Um, and if something goes wrong, they can always reach out to me or reach out to someone else in the team who has, has been through those similar experiences and um, help them along, which is, again, important because we didn't necessarily have that. We had, you know, Manuela growing up, but that was our only mogul skier, to female mogul skier to really look up to. So to have a whole team there. I think it's really exciting and I'm I'm excited to see what happens with the sport. Well, I, I'm definitely excited too because one thing I'll say for, for moguls is if, if my calculations are correct, moguls is equal for most successful discipline at the Olympics for Australia alongside aerials mm-hmm. uh, if you take into account men's and women's. I know snowboarding, we've had more medalists but not from the same discipline, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. So um, we've got to beat the aerials, right? So like, <laughs> you know, come come Milan, 
Jakara, Matt, you know, yourself coming out of retirement, anybody, uh, you, you know, we've got to we're going to get that fourth medal. And, and I'm not wishing that the aerials team don't like don't yeah. get a, get a medal in the men's and women's, and let's get one medal in the aerials in <laughs> Milan. So because it needs to be the number one sport, right? When you have moguls as our most successful discipline at a Winter Olympics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're pretty close with the aerial team, so it's nice to see them succeed as well. But. I think what we've created in Australian mogul skiing is very strong and I think we have a pretty bright future ahead um, to have even just to have the eight athletes, four girls, four boys in Olympic Games. I think that's incredible from a small country like Australia. Um, and we're out there doing doing well. We're not out there just participating. Like we're actually, you know, at the top of the podium. We won the Olympic Games, which I think is a really, it's a testament to the sport. It's a testament to what our coach is and what the um everyone has done in in this sport so i think it's really incredible to see two quick things before we wrap up with a set of get to know yourself questions the first one i've never asked this question before to an australian mogul skier does the australian moguls team have a nickname like i know you've got the flying kangaroos in aerials and we like to nickname our sporting teams but does the does the moguls team have a nickname no we don't it's just i mean on instagram it's just oz mogul team (laughs) pretty simple can I suggest one? Can I suggest yeah. one for you? What about the bumper ruse? I think the that bump- would work. <laughs> or, or the mogul ruse. Like you've got to have some sort of ruse connection, but I think the bumper ruse sounds great. Bumper ruse. I mean, I'll bring it up with the team. I'll see how we go. We'll have a little poll. <laughs> yeah, the merch out there, you know, kind of you could be yeah, selling 100%. this out there, you know. Bumper ruse <laughs> has got such a great ring to it, you know. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, if we could get a name and uh, get ourselves out there a bit more, it'd be great to have some more Australians supporting winter sports. So that would yeah. be really cool. I mean, every Olympics, you think about it, like when, you know, the men's basketball team wins a medal, it's the Boomers or the Opals winner in the women's, you know, the Stingers, the Sharks in water polo, Hockey Roos, Kookaburra, they've all got names. And I think it's only the Flying Kangaroos. I I know in ice hockey we're the Mighty Roos, but we're obviously not really going to make the Olympics probably anytime soon in ice (laughs) hockey. But, yeah, I think this needs to be a winter sport thing. The Flying Kangaroos can't be the only name of an Olympic winter team so bumper roos take it on board taylor come yep. on okay. make it happen <laughs> bumper roos i like it now see what they think <laughs> good all right the other question i want to ask you too just sort of your post uh mogul's career and sort of yep. what you've been involved in i believe you were involved a bit with the aoc in terms of sort of doing some work for them and the thing that i i liked seeing here that you did for tokyo you helped write a bunch of the bios on the website which Thank you. They're very handy for research <laughs> when it comes to uh, interviewing Olympic athletes. So how's yeah. that experience sitting down and uh, having to research and write a couple of hundred uh, athlete bios for an <laughs> Olympic Games? It was really good. I mean, I interned um, with the AOC just throughout some of my injuries and I was lucky enough they contacted me just before Tokyo and they needed um, – a content writer and I was like sweet yeah I'll do it that sounds good I'll do it like in between my training sessions and after after training um and there's a lot there's a lot of people in the summer olympic team compared to the winter yeah, olympic team just a and few like 500 people and we have like 30 so it was a lot of bios I didn't necessarily write all of them some of them um we had some other interns and some other people writing and I just had to get them up on the website and add the photos and do all that bit but I was really lucky I got to actually interview some athletes um which was really exciting to be able to talk to them and their experience and write about them and um the same leading into Beijing uh, I was actually kept on up until the first world cup last year so up until Rooker I was interviewing and writing the bios for the winter athletes, like the athletes going to Beijing that were had 
pretty much pre-qualified from the season before. I wrote all of their bios. So like, you know, Matt Brody from my team, um, Danny Scott. Did you write yours? Did you do your own bio? No, I didn't write my own. (laughs) That would have been fun. (laughs) Taylor is a legend. She's the greatest Olympian of all time. (laughs) Well, I said to Jakar, I'm like, you better be nice to me. I get to write your bio. (laughs) Jakara sucks. She has no chance at an Olympic medal. She also um, snores. Yeah. <laughs> As my roommate, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it was really cool. So I got to interview a bunch of athletes as well and write some stories about them. And I really I really enjoyed writing about athletes who didn't necessarily have the hype around them or get get a mention because, you know, you have your your star athletes and then, you know, everybody, everybody trains just as hard. Everyone's going to the Olympics. So everyone has – deserves to have their story told as well, I think. So it was really, it was great to be able to write those stories and um, get them out there leading into the game. Fantastic. Games. Fantastic. And is that sort of now post-skiing career? That's kind of what you're further pursuing that type of work and that type of career? No. So I did a Bachelor of Media in PR and advertising. Um, and I've done, a f- I had done a few internships in PR as well during my injuries. Um, so just after the games, I did an internship at the start of last year during my weird knee injury I don't even know what to call it that injury <laughs> the cartilage injury and um I got an email just after the games and they had a position for me which was really great they had followed me right. through the whole the whole journey and watched me at the games and um reached out afterwards and offered me a position so I'm still there at the moment it's called history will be kind it's a PR agency in Surrey Hills um Fantastic. which has been really great yeah so it's just a lifestyle consumer agency and it's been really great it's been a great transition they've been really supportive during that transition and and yeah first week in our annual leave which is wild exciting <laughs> so time <laughs> yeah you always make the most of that fantastic yeah. taylor we, we wrap up all our chats with a fun get to know yourself question there's always questionnaire given to canadian athletes ahead of uh, pyeongchang and rio and given you're a mogul skier i have to use a question that was given to the goat mr Macau kingsbury so um not sure if there's any of these uh answers here that we can compare to yours but uh let's let's give this a go uh your favorite olympic moment of all time is oh my favorite olympic moment Please say Dale, please say Dale, please say Dale. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite Olympic moment was probably watching Britt Cox push out the gate in 2010. Um, I'd been skiing with her since I was a kid. Where she's one of my best friends, so that was really exciting to watch. And every time I hear the song that played during her Olympic run, like it just brings me back to that memory. Um, what was the song? Kid. What song was it? It was Kids by MGMT. Ah, uh, yep, yep. It was actually yep. quite suitable because she was only 15, so yeah. quite a suitable song. Um, but, yeah, so that was probably my very favourite Olympic moment otherwise i mean probably pushing out the gate at my own olympics that was pretty sick <laughs> you're, you're allowed to answer your own which um it's funny actually i recently went back as the olympic nerd that i am i keep a lot of footage from past olympics and i i recently went back and watched some of the vancouver coverage and there was an interview with her and scotty james who were, i think mm-hmm. were both 15 at the time weren't mm-hmm. they and yeah. It was insane to just see, you know, a little fresh face Brit, little fresh face Scotty, you know, being interviewed. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was interesting to kind of see what they would both go on to be. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's insane. I want to actually just mention, um, I, I mentioned this to Brody that, that during our coverage of Beijing, we have our daily athlete of the day, and mm-hmm. we did name it the Daily Dale this year. So we actually got a little <laughs> Dale Beg Smith face and put it on like a little ribbon. Um, so, uh, <laughs> just striving towards your, your teammates going towards Milan that potentially, yeah, a medal's nice, but the daily Dale might be more prestigious. Yeah. hundred percent. 
That's where yeah. you want to be. <laughs> that's what that's what you want. And the bumper roos yep. would love to win the Daily Dale. It's, I mean, it's named Definitely. after a legend of their own. Can you sport, win as a team though? That would be the best. I mean, I think if, we were the best team over there, obviously, because. But <laughs> I think you can. We we did give it to a couple of teams, so yeah, no, uh, yeah, I'm liking this, Taylor. You you yes, you can. I'll I'll declare it now on off the podium ahead of the Milan Olympics in a few years that that will be allowed. So yeah. okay, I like that. Um, as a kid, who was your favourite sports team? Sports team. Oh, the Bumperoos. Hey, Charlie Mogul's team was pretty sweet. Um. I don't know. I've never actually played a team sport in my life. So I've only ever did, done individual sports, which is pretty <laughs> wild. Um, I mean, if I could choose a person, it was Tora Bright. She was who I looked yep. up to. I thought she was epic. Um, but sports team, I have no idea. Didn't sort of have a family footy team that was kind of forced down your throat or sort of something Not really. Like my that. brother is pretty big into footy, but I never really got into it that much. He goes for the Dragons. But uh, okay. Yeah, no, I'm more, yeah, individual, so Tora Bright was my favourite. <laughs> do you bump shoulders much with her in, in Sochi, kind of obviously being a smallish team? Do you sort of get to experience her a bit? Yeah, I did. It was really it was really cool. So um, she was obviously in the same village as us and um, after she won the silver medal, we had a silver medal party, which was really cool, and um, I was pretty excited to be on the same team as her and to, to be able to experience the Olympics with someone who, I mean, one of our most successful Olympians. Yeah. Exactly. So um that was pretty it was pretty awesome to be there. Fantastic. Uh if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Superhero. Hmm. Um I've always wanted to fly. That was it was my dream as a kid. That's how I actually broke my arm. I tried to fly off my sister's bed. So probably <laughs> a superman, because he can fly. That would be pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think Superman ever did an ACL, so that could also help. No, um, yes, yeah. keep my legs off the floor. That would be. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't, don't put the arms out when you land. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> yes. Um, if you could be an Olympian in any sport besides your own, what would mm-hmm. it be? I would probably do maybe gymnastics or now surfing. Surfing would be pretty yeah. cool. I can't surf. I'm terrified of the ocean, which <laughs> but it would be a pretty cool sport to be good at it. Um, I need to overcome that fear if you ever did switch professions. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think I to like urban surf where it's just a pool. Yeah, it's yeah. better off. One of those wave sort of things. I was going to say, okay. 10 years to Brisbane, you've got plenty of time to train, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> home Olympics, dangle yeah. that in front of you. Uh, who are your favourite music artists? Favourite music artists? Um, I I wouldn't say I have like a favourite favourite. I Depending on my mood, I change what I listen to. Um, I listen to a lot of what my parents listen to just because it, it's old school and I like it. Yeah. Um, otherwise right now it's probably like Harry Styles or something like that just because yeah. I mean, everyone loves Harry Styles. So. Who doesn't love Harry? Come <laughs> yeah. on. And he's also just, the thing about Harry is like every movie you watch now, he just kind of pops up in it as well. It's just <laughs> like not only can he sing, he, he acts, he's a good-looking yeah. rooster. I mean, this guy's yeah. got it all, right? Like, yeah, all rounder. You know? That's what Come you want. on, Harry. Is he, is he good at mogul skiing? Have you ever, you know? I don't know. I don't know. Probably could, bloody would be. Once you can, I can give him a lesson. So if yeah. he comes so out. There you go. He's a big listener yeah, yeah. to the show, actually, Tessa. I'm sure he's listening right now. He wants to join the Bumper Roos. Harry Styles <laughs> on the Bumper Get on board, Harry. There you yeah. go. Uh, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Uh, it would be porridge. <laughs> Uncle Toby's oats. Uncle Toby, I'm obsessed. I eat it every day. I would have it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
if I we could. had this conversation beforehand and yeah. uh, you got me excited for it you yeah. did Obsessed. you did indeed yeah. wow Otherwise, i remember do you, I was going to say, remember as a kid, you had all the different flavors. Like you could get like mm, I don't know, honey. like fruit and nut and whatever yeah. they had. Like, are you just a, you just go over the plain, or do you spice it up every now and then with some flavors? No, I'm pretty much just plain, just your just old plain. oats, classic. Yeah. It's Simple. good. Yeah, good food porridge. Yeah, geez. Uh, your favorite place to compete is or was. Yeah, so my very favourite World Cup was the Deer Valley World Cup. You probably have heard that from every single mogul. Pretty much everyone. Mikhail's answered it. I think Brody answered it. I mean, this is just uh, I've got to get to Deer Valley. It sounds like obviously a yeah. pretty epic place. Yeah, no, it's a it's the biggest World Cup on the tour. Um, so you have like a massive crowd, which is epic. You have the big screen. The course is insane. Like it's the best course in the world. Um, and you stay in some pretty legit accommodation. <laughs> just everything, everything about it is awesome. And that's usually where our families come and watch because it is the best event. So they come and watch that as well, which is always great. really nice to have, to have some Aussie supporters in the crowd. Utah, great for winter sports, obviously Salt mm-hmm. Lake Olympics and mm-hmm. uh, potentially could have another one in another 10 to 12 years. So, uh, yeah. yeah, great place. Your favourite thing to do in summer is? Favourite thing to do in summer, probably just go to the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, not get in the water, of course, because yeah, you're afraid of that. No, not going out there. <laughs> but yeah, go to the beach, go for some hikes, um, uh, and just spend time with family. Really, mm-hmm. yeah. which I guess when you're competing, you you barely see summer, right? So you make the most of it when you can. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now I'm just going to be home all the time. So <laughs> it works a treat. Uh, yeah. Last one for you today, Taylor. Your favorite cartoon to watch up growing to watch growing up was. Cartoon? Oh, it's probably The Simpsons. Loved Great it. Answer. Yep. Yeah. Do you still watch it? Like, I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one in this planet who still watches the damn show. <laughs> no, my nephews actually are super into it at the moment, though. They always put it on when they come to my house, or my parents' house. Um, but yeah, I haven't watched it in years, but I loved it growing up. It's. it's I mean, look. It's not good anymore. I will say that. It's not like it used to be. But, like, the thing that I don't like giving up on things, and I know that, you know, at some point soon they're going to be like, The Simpsons is over. This is the last season. And then everybody's going to start watching it again. So, like, (laughs) I want to say, like, I never gave up. I was there the whole run, what, 40-odd seasons, and just be like, (laughs) boom, here it is. Because, again, it's you get maybe one episode a season where you're like, okay, that's kind of funny. The rest of the time you get two minutes in, you're probably on your phone and, you know, wondering what you're doing for the weekend. But uh, classic Simpsons, you can't beat it. Oh, it's great. It's so good. Yeah. It's quotable. Like, did you ever, do you ever quote the Simpsons when you're competing? Like you can quote Simpsons in life anywhere, basically. (laughs) Um, Not so much. Uh, Probably, I mean, it might pop out of me here and there, but. (laughs) Every time you did your ACL, was it a don't? (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So <laughs> Not uh, here to joke about that, Taylor. We, you know, you know, we've got <laughs> it out of my system now, right? Like yeah, it helps. No, comedy. I, that's what I did for the whole three weeks leading into the games. I think Jakara was getting a little. Uh, she's like, I was like, it might stop at some. I might just start crying at some stage. But at the moment, I'm just going to keep talking shit. She's like, okay. Like she yep. got on board too, which was which was good. <laughs> helped her, all right. There you go. See, <laughs> thanks, thanks Taylor for helping me win a gold medal. That's the words that should have been coming out of her mouth. Like, come on, ungrateful, uh, Jakar Anthony. I think it was, it was all her. She, uh, <laughs> she definitely deserved that gold medal. <laughs> Taylor, before we let you go, if people want to stay up to date with what you what you're doing in life, uh, social media, anywhere that people can follow you. Uh yeah, Instagram. Um, it's just I think it's just at Taylor O'Neill. Um. And I mean, I have an athlete page on Facebook, but I don't post on it ever. 
not, not worthwhile going to that. Instagram's probably the place to be. Until the official announcement of the bumper ruse. That's exactly. when you could launch it on your page. Maybe, so, yeah, I could just do the PR for them, ready to roll. Do. I just I'm <laughs> seeing the like the t-shirts, the hats. You could have just like a lumpy kangaroo that's like on the hat. Um, you know, or just call yourself like the Beg Smither Ruse. Like the, the Dale Aroos, like I don't know, like that the Jakara Ruse, the Britta Ruse. I'm trying to just think of how you can sort of do this, but no, I'm I'm sticking. If you don't, if it's not official, from now on, I'm calling you guys a bumper ruse. It's it's sticking on this show. I'm saying that right work now. Work on it. Work on it. Leading into Milan. Get all the please merch. Please do. Please do. Taylor, it's been such a uh, pleasure talking to you today on the show, learning about everything and uh, your your great career and inspirational stuff to sort of get to that third Olympics or second Olympics and uh, everything else in between. But uh, thank you so much for your time and off the podium. It's uh, been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks so much. It was great. And a massive, massive thanks to Taylor there. Such a fun time. The Bumper Roos. Sell it. Sell it right now. Get your Bumper Roos merch going out there. It's just going to be amazing to sell it out there and it's going to take off. Chikara Anthony, Olympic gold medalist from the Bumper Roos. Matt Graham, Olympic silver medalist from the Bumper Roos. Dale Begg-Smith, Olympic gold medalist from the Bumper Roos. Come on. Sells itself. Brett Cox, multiple world champion from the Bumper Roos. Come on, everybody. Let's get on board with that. But a big thanks to Taylor there. Such an inspiring story and three ACLs. Ouch. Got to hurt. But to be able to get there on the starting blocks in Beijing, just uh, absolutely incredible there. And uh, we definitely wish her best for everything in a post-Olympic world for her. We've got so much coming your way, of course, in the coming weeks. Plenty of great athlete interviews. Another Tasmanian coming on the show very soon. Very pumped up for that. Actually, next week, to be completely honest with you. The Brad Pitt of canoeing. There you go. Put two and two together. I think you know who we're going to have on next week. We've got speed skating coming your way in the coming weeks. Another clip show as well uh, as we reach our 300th episode. But then we're returning to ice hockey. We've got swimming coming up. We've got basketball on the agenda. Another break dancer coming on the show. And our very first athlete in soccer is still to come as well. So I'm very pumped up for those in the coming weeks. Get excited. And if you want to stay up to date with everything that we do have going on, of course, subscribe to us on all the good podcast servers out there to never miss an episode. If you're on YouTube, you can see the video version of our chat here with Taylor and subscribe to never miss a video interview and social media as well, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, up to date with everything off the podium related. Big thanks again to Taylor O'Neill for her time. A shout out as always to the Birmingham Bull. My name is Ben. This has been Off the Podium. Remember to go left and fizzle dizzle. When the stars make you drool just like pasta fuzzle and some water. When you dance down the street with the cloud at your feet, you're in When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming, Signore. Excuse me, but you see back in old Napoli, that's a